All right, Flaneur is uh is someone who enjoys strolling. So like, oh, when you're, okay, yeah. So yeah, you're a flaneur like me. Like it's just someone who enjoys the art of strolling. Typically, I think around cities. Um. So yeah, go go. I, I don't know if it can be used as a verb, but you, you, we can do it. go flaneur around Lisbon. Um, Perfect. Welcome to Location Indie Podcast, a behind-the-scenes, unfiltered, no-holds-barred look at the realities of the location-independent lifestyle from myself and now now a bunch of friends who are doing it. And uh, one of my oldest, dearest location-independent friends I've got for you today, Jeremy Enns. And uh, Jeremy, I just told you before we, we hit record here, I'm jealous because you just entered like I, maybe a micro season of life here. It's got a, it's got a delineated time frame. but you're sitting there in Portugal and you just got there. So uh, welcome. And, and yeah, let it, Portugal, why Portugal? How long are you going to be there? Give us the deets. Yeah. Well, uh, first off, thanks for having me. Um, always, always glad to, to chat with you uh, online. We got to chat a little bit in person throughout the years uh, at different conferences and stuff like that. Actually some LI events uh, here and there as well. So uh, a little bit of a step down to be, you know, virtual over zoom, but always good to chat. And uh, yeah, so we, like you mentioned, we just got to Portugal. Uh, my partner, Kelly and I also LI alum, I suppose. Um, and we got to Lisbon, we're recording this on Wednesday. We got here super late Sunday night after a overnight flight, long layover in London, and then you know the state of the world today, many flight delays and all of that kind of stuff. So I think we got in at like two a.m. like overnight on on Sunday or something like that, and are kind of still getting our bearings. But uh, we're going to be here for three months, and we were in Lisbon early in the pandemic. So Kelly's American, I'm Canadian. We kind of got stuck in Europe where. If we were, if I were to go, well, I could go back to Canada and she could go back to the States, but we couldn't go back to each other's countries. So mm. we ended up staying in Europe just to stay together, which we're glad we did in hindsight, because it probably would have been a year that we would have been separated or potentially more. We heard lots of stories of, of cross-border couples that happening. So uh, we ended up staying in Europe. We were in Scotland for a while. And then after that, we headed to uh, Lisbon, kind of in the first lull after the first wave. And we loved it here. And we kind of actually, I think it was when we were in Portugal that trip, we ended up through through all of COVID. Uh, we were traveling a bit before, and then kind of a, a year a year of COVID. We were in Europe for two years, and we had kind of been. This was going to be our last hurrah of a trip from like 2019 to early 2020 was going to be this final trip, and then we were going to settle down probably in Canada, and then we got stuck in Europe, and we kind of realized like, well. Neither of us were super excited about settling in either Canada or the US. And it just felt like, well, only one of us has to do residency and visa stuff then. So that's the easiest. And Canada was easier for Kelly to do that than it was for me to get uh, residency in the States. So we thought, okay, well, we'll do Canada, but we weren't really excited about it. And then it was actually when we were in Portugal, we were at lunch one day and I kind of just brought it up and I was like, you know, like, what if we just both, you know, we found a place where it's a bit more of a hassle, but if one of us is doing the, the residency visa stuff, like maybe we just both do it. And we would just, we, we both love Europe so much more. We, we want to be here kind of full time. We would love to get uh, passports so that we could travel openly uh, in Europe for, for long-term. And we, we just kind of thought like, well, maybe that's never going to happen. And 
we kind of like talked it out and like within five minutes, um, we, we were starting to think like, okay, well, you know, where's, where's the city, where would we want to be? And it actually wasn't Lisbon, wasn't the first choice. We very quickly settled on Berlin. And so we were trying to get to Berlin for, you know, a year and a half almost, but the borders were closed for a long time. So we couldn't get in to like test it out or anything like that. And actually then this uh, spring, we finally made it to Berlin and we had spent three months there. Um, But the best visa that they have is essentially for freelancers. So, and part of the stipulation is that you have a kind of certain quota of your income comes from German based companies. And we had both been, you know, running our own businesses. Uh, Kelly's a freelancer. I run a podcast production and education company. And so we thought, okay, well, we could, we can find a way to make this work. We know people in Germany, we know companies in Germany, we could figure it out. And then about like a month before we actually ended up going to Berlin, Kelly took a full-time job with a US-based startup, mm-hmm. which basically meant that we couldn't get that visa anymore. There was no way she could do enough freelance work on the side to meet that like 38,000 euro per year quota that they set out. And so after that, we were kind of like, oh man, like we we do love Berlin. It's still kind of in this like long-term, we'd love to move there. But we started looking at other places, especially those that have more uh, like visas that are, are more uh, kind of cater to our situation. And very quickly, like we'd been hearing about Portugal, the, the visa, how easy it is to get for people like us since we were here. And the more we thought about it, we were like, man, we, we really did love Portugal. Like the food's amazing. Uh, I love being able to get out and surf. Um, there's like tons of creative people, digital nomads, like just a, a really like vibrant city. And so we kind of thought, well, that's not a bad second option place to kind of go get the visa, spend, you know, maybe three to five years there. If we can get our passports for, for Portugal uh, and get like permanent residency, then we're the, the kind of, I was going to say the world is open to us, but Europe at least is open to us, which is, is where we want to spend a lot, a lot of our time. So we're kind of on the scouting trip here right now. And then if all goes well, um, probably sometime in the next six to nine months, we'll start the whole visa application process. Isn't it crazy how quickly, I mean, I say how quickly a decision can be made. I think that your story encapsulates how quickly the decision can be made, but how much goes, how much like experience and stuff is built up around it that you don't really sometimes realize, right? Like you, mm-hmm. within like, you know, within five minutes, we decided, okay, Portugal might be the place to be. But there were so many other things in hindsight that were building yeah. to that, right? Like, being in Portugal before going all the way back, being stuck there in Europe when you probably would have been in Canada, right? Like all mm-hmm. these things built to a moment. And, and sometimes when we talk about seasons life or people's journeys, it's like, oh, in this moment, this happened. But, you know, then with a little bit more clarity, you start looking back and say, oh my gosh, a lot of dominoes fell yeah. in order to get to that seminal moment where it was like the decision. And, uh, and I think, you know, a lot of times when we hear people's story, we just hear, oh, this decision, this is like, oh my gosh, it happened so sporadically or, mm-hmm. or um, spontaneously. It's like, in a way, yes, but there's a lot of buildup behind it. Yeah, 100%. For you guys, I, like, I didn't know that you were planning on going to Canada. And, and as Jeremy mentioned, like him and Kelly, one of our greatest successes at Location Indie is, uh, is having them as a long-term couple, right? And they met because they were part of Location Indie. And Jeremy, you were one of the first, both you and Kelly were one of the first people to join Location Indie way back. And it's been really fun to follow the journey. I, I want to take us back because this is a memory that just came flooding back to me as you were talking about. There was a video... I don't know if you remember this, that you filmed that you sent to me and Jason, or maybe both of us, and that was you walking around the UK 
And I think you ended up getting locked out of an apartment or your first house. It (laughs) was that your first, because I think that was your first foray into like trying to do something location in Penn. I'm just remembering this video and it seems like a, well, it was a long time ago, maybe six, seven years ago. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yep. That, um, okay. So that would have been almost literally, so that was my first trip to, um, well, since I was working and, and was actually uh, location independent and I'd had, I think like three days in Prague where I had left my, my bike, my like touring bike on a previous trip. So I like went to Prague, pick up my bike, then headed to the UK after three days or something uh, to this house set through trusted house sitters. And so I'd done a couple house sits before just like locally in Vancouver to kind of like get some reviews, um, understand how the system works. But this was my like first long-term one doing the the LI thing. And that must have been the day I got locked out of the house must've been like my like first or second day there. Like it was so, it was like right immediately off the start. And I was like, at the time, kind of like playing around with doing some YouTube videos and stuff like that, some kind of travel bloggy things. And so as it happened, I have no idea why I had my camera in my hand that day because like, and so what, what happened is unlike in, North America, in many places in Europe, you, the doors just automatically lock. Like they don't have the deadbolt or, I mean, they, they do, but like they just, you need the key to, to turn the knob essentially, or to turn the latch. And so I went out, I think to put trash outside or maybe no, it actually was, I went out to take a, a photo. Cause like the light was really great on the street. The street was really cool. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go take a photo just from the front down the street. And that's why I had the camera in my hand. And so like went outside, I'm so glad I put shoes on like no, because I might not have. I was just walking to the end of the walk, and I think I had a sweater or something. This would have been September, October, something like that. And so I'm, I'm so glad like things worked out the way they did. And I think I had as well, maybe like two fifty, like two pounds fifty pence in my pocket or something. So there's this like little amount of change. Looking back, I could have done a way better video with this because there, because all these like opportunities for like tension of like how am I going to spend this like two fifty? But it, it did become this whole like video. Where it was like, okay, well, I don't know how long I'm going to be out here. Like, let's you know make something of this. And you know, I was planning to work the whole day too, and I didn't have as much work then as I, I did now. So it, it kind of like was okay, but I was a little stressed about that. Still getting over jet lag and everything. I was working on a, a pretty big project, I think, at the time. But I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to be out here until, you know, they, they said the, the people who have housing for, they said the neighbors have a spare key. So, I, of course, I went over there first thing and they weren't home. Like, they were away for the day and there was, like, builders working on the house or something. So, I, like, asked them, like, Do you, is anyone home? Do you know when they're going to be home? They were like, I think, like, this afternoon at, like, 4 p.m. after work. And it was, like, 10 in the morning or something. And so... I was just like, had the whole day where Welcome it's just like to location my independent life, man. Here <laughs> yeah. it is. It's like, you got six hours in the middle of the day, do something. And the funny thing is like the camera was on like the, the one bar of battery left too. So I was so conscious, like only turning on to like film a, a short, like little video of something, then like turn off again and preserve it. Cause I was like, if this dies, then what am I going to do? Then I'm just going to be like stuck sitting out here. And <laughs> yeah. So that was my, my welcome to, to LI moment. Mm. And it's so funny to me because like that just memory that came flooding back, I remember it was like it was your first trip and it was like, here's Jeremy's new season of life, right? Like like he's worked towards this. He's gotten remote jobs right now. He's now he's going to house it. It's like the last little piece. All right. Now he's housing. Here it goes. And it's like day one or day two locked out of the apartment. And it's cool for me and, and I'm sure for you as well to see just how far you've come. And you mentioned, all right, got a lot more work now and obviously more responsibilities, more income. Uh, there's a lot of positives, right? And and there's probably a few 
you know, a few uh, romanticized notions of that time of life where it's like, oh, I could get locked out in the middle of the day and not the end of the world. But talk us through a little bit of the seasons that you've had, like, let's use it as a bookend. Since becoming location independent, you, you know, you've gone through quite a bit of transitions, both in, in a business sense, but also in like a lifestyle sense from you know, scraping by and trying to figure out how to make it work to now saying like, all right, well, now we have businesses that allow us to kind of live the way we we originally might have thought we could live. Yeah. So I think like the first, so before, before I even knew what location independence was, I'd been on a, a big trip. I took a year off. And so part of that, uh, I mentioned I, my cycle touring bike was in uh, Prague. And so a friend and I, we'd done a three month cycle touring trip um, through Iceland, then Norway, cycling through to Croatia. And then after that, I'd gone to Southeast Asia for four or five months um, with my girlfriend at the time. So it had this big trip, had explored a lot and was then like, kind of came back from that. and was looking at like, how do I do that full time? And, you know, discovered podcasting and discovered your and Jay shows and then discovered Location Indie when you launched that and all that kind of stuff, um, as well as the whole world of online business at that time. And so started getting into that and realizing like, oh, th this is something that's actually possible. And like, I can start working toward that. But really like, so I mentioned I have a, a podcast uh, production agency. Now it's, it's more focused on uh, marketing consulting for podcasting and then education. Um, but that was really, I, I went to school for audio engineering and that just happened to be something convenient. Like I love podcasts, but really like I wanted something that would allow me to travel. I didn't really care too much what the work was. And here was this existing skill that I had that allowed me to do that. And so for the first year, I would say the first trip I left, I think September came back to Canada in probably June or something like that. And like that almost year, that nine months was very like travel focused. And mm -hmm. at the time I probably had, I would say like it, it probably wasn't more than 20 hours a week of work typically, unless I was working on a bigger project. And so like, there was a lot of time to actually spend exploring and traveling. And especially the first part of that trip, like I, I'm sure I worked three days a week maybe like four hours a day, five hours a day during those, those days, and then had, you know, a lot, quite a bit of time off. And so, you know, made a lot of use of that and, and did a lot of like actual traveling kind of. And for part of that, I think the first three months were house sitting all in the UK in three different house sits. And then after that, and there was actually a couple like excursions in there, but after that, um, a couple of friends came out and we did a bunch of traveling together. And I think the second half of that year, I don't think I was in one place longer than three days or something for like four months at a time. And like that got really exhausting, but it was also like, I have really fond memories of that. And that's just not possible at all by any means anymore. And that was like a really fun time. And then I got home at the end of that trip and lost like a client, they like quit their show or something like that. And maybe it was even two, like one client quit and another one was talking about, you know, quitting their show or, or something like that. And I got like really scared because I was like, I haven't put any effort into growing the business. I just have had these consistent clients for this past year. And it's been enough to like maintain basically break even or a little above break even with my travel expenses, which was okay. kind of my, my goal all along. I was like, you know, if I can just travel for free, essentially, like, that's, that's a win. But then I kind of realized, okay, well, that's not, I'm not guaranteed to just keep these clients forever. And if I'm not doing anything to get new clients, that's, you know, eventually they're going to leave or they're going to end their shows or they're going to, you know, whatever. Um, right. And so that was when I kind of realized like, oh, I actually need to take this more seriously as a business if I want this traveling to last. And so kind of going into my second year, uh, I was home for the summer, went to some conferences and stuff, and then had another trip planned uh, in the fall. And 
th- at that point I was really like, okay, I got to like actually be working pretty much full time, do, like doing client work, but also, you know, building up the rest of the business so that I'm getting more clients. And so from that point onward, like that effort started to grow the business. And then it ended up in like having more work than I could handle and getting, you know, going through burnout and like hiring a team and like doing all the stuff that led to just like, you kind of get on the treadmill of then growing the business kind of where it's like, you're just on that track then. And there was just way less time for travel and kind of the, the, uh, trough of that, I suppose, like the low point was probably, I think that was in my second year at some point I was in Brazil. I was so pleased because I think I remember you talking about going to, yeah, I don't know if you actually ever went on this trip, but you got your ticket to Brazil to go to the world cup for like yep. $5 yeah. or whatever yep. it was. Yeah. I never ended up going because yeah, because I ended up getting like super sick or something. I, I can't even remember, but yes, it was one of my best travel hacks ever and I couldn't use it. <laughs> yeah. And so I'd always seen that, but it's really hard in Canada to, to get those kinds of deals, mainly because everything routes through Toronto and Toronto has high fees as an airport and Air Canada also has a pretty significant fees. So even if you get the ticket for zero, you still have all this tax yeah. that's several hundred dollars often but this one time i was able to book the trip to brazil from vancouver for like seven dollars and 30 cents canadian or something like that and so i had this trip to brazil i had a house sit there for two months and i think i had like half a day on my last saturday that i didn't work and like didn't see anything and was just like so had it just like had way too much work and like couldn't handle this and that was kind of this point where i was like okay, I'm getting into like the next season almost here. I realized like, well, this isn't sustainable. First, it was like just traveling too much isn't sustainable. Then there's this like working this much isn't sustainable. And it's not, I'm still kind of like scraping by in a way. And like, I'm I'm doing that and maybe I was saving a bit more money, but I wasn't actually able to enjoy Mm, being in Brazil. Like you weren't saving enough that then that was going to be some slush fund that you could like, could, you know, your life could be great forever, right? So Mm -hmm. you're all, you're sitting Mm -hmm. there saying, wait a second, like this is minimally amount more than I had before, yet I'm not even getting the benefits of travel. Yeah. And I think probably in hindsight, that was because I was hiring more people. And so it was like the business was actually making more money, but I was just redirecting it back into the business. And I wasn't charging enough to like have that extra then to even hire more people that would take more work off my plate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there was kind of a, a year in there where I like just really started focusing on systems and automations and building the team and SOPs and all that kind of stuff where then like probably two years later or three years later, whatever, that was probably at this point, maybe four years ago. But now like I spend maybe 30 minutes a week on the business and it's, it's not as big that the production side of things is kind of like now receding. There's a whole other transition there of like, you know, built up this, this podcast agency. And then kind of two years ago, uh, launched my first course. And over the past two years realized like, well, this is where I have way more to offer as like a thinker and a writer and a teacher than as a like production, like a producer or an implementer or editor or anything of that kind of thing. And so now that kind of was, um, my kind of shifting more recently of saying like, okay, well, I built this production agency, like, but I'm not really excited about this anymore. So like, how can I remove myself as much as possible? And even if that means like it declines and eventually like there's no more clients left, like how can I just give myself enough runway to get this other business, the education side of things off the ground? So that's kind of the the more current um, business season that we're in. And mm. kind of along all of this, there's been like, I mean, Kelly came into the picture um, a couple of years in, we've been together four years now. So we each had kind of two years of solo travel at the start. And then that, you know, was a big change as well when it, when it came to like travel style and, and all of that. Yeah, I think one of the points that you hit on really well there is 
most, even though we talk about lifestyle first and we, you know, it's, it's across everything we do, whether it's a challenge or a course or a coaching program that people are in, we're always like lifestyle first, build a lifestyle first business. And we, that is, you know, we hammer that home because even people who get it, want to do it, I think fall into traps of business for business sake, right? Because, because there are so many people out there not building lifestyle first businesses that once you kind of get around them, you might not even realize it's happening. And it certainly happened to me. Mm -hmm. You know, you get around people who are more focused on building a business for more money, or they just really love, or they're workaholics or whatever. There's a thousand things. But if, if you're around them, you kind of start to sometimes take on that stuff. And, and like you said, you realized you got to a point where you're like, wow, now the whole lifestyle, the whole reason I'm doing this, which is to be in Brazil and be around this culture. Like I had half a Saturday in two months and it was this aha moment of like, well, now I'm just building a business. I'm not building a lifestyle first business. I'm building a business. And yeah, neither you or I are against working hard or in different phases saying, well, now I have to enter this mode that might be more tedious, more work, you know, a growth phase that maybe takes money off my plate, but is for the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. But I think without, if we don't realize that that's needs to just be a phase and figure out where the end date is, you can get caught in that hamster wheel of just going. And usually that means going towards more money. That's the easiest like metric to see people fall into is like, Revenue, 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 right? Yeah. And sometimes mm -hmm. the revenue doesn't even come back to you as for, uh, in the form of profit. And then you're really screwing yourself, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that like right now, well, that, that's been an interesting kind of aspect to this as well is that as I've gotten more, I think, especially in the past two years, well, and even before that, but like travels become less important. Like we don't really do, we, we like, living abroad. We usually do like three months in a place and we, we love being new places. Um, we don't like traveling quickly. We, you know, three months feels like a, a good amount of time kind of, if not even longer. Um, and so we more like, we, we like living in a different place and being able to go to different restaurants or whatever. We don't do a lot of like touristy stuff typically, but it's interesting that like travels just become less a part of our identities. And like, we, we say now a lot of times that like probably the people who know us think like that travels the least interesting thing about us. Like we both love our work so much more. And so you kind of like, but this is the interesting thing. Like you were kind of talking about lifestyle first. And I think that's like, for a lot of people, that's why I got into it. But I think there's, I am skeptical of, for most people, I think that I know for myself, and I think a lot of people imagine that travels this like panacea that will just like fill whatever hole in your life. And like, I don't think travel can be fulfilling in a lot of ways, but I don't think for most people, it fills that purpose mm. void. And so I think like for me now, I feel like I have hit on my like life's work. Like, I feel like I know what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. And like, I'm doing that. And that's more like related to my writing. And so I'm like, okay, I've got book ideas. I've got like my newsletters growing. Like there's all this stuff that I'm like, this is just like, I want to spend every hour of every day doing this stuff. And I know that like, I can't do that. That's not sustainable, but it's also, it's and the, the really funny thing for me. And this may be true for a lot of people is like, I realize now how in really subtle ways, all my travel experience funnels into this work in ways that are not like explicit in my, my writing and content and the work I do but I've been like so hugely shaped by it, but it's, there's not so much that like idea anymore that like, well, I'd like travels just that one thing that I just want to keep doing forever. It's like, 
that's a great additive to my life. But there's, I found this other thing that like is so much more fulfilling that is, um, it's around like interacting with other people and helping like them find their like creative um, kind of potentials and and access that as like creative people and, and business owners and all that kind of thing, which that to me is like, what's really exciting. And I think about all the things I can build around that. And I'm like, oh, this, like, I, I'm so glad I have like so many decades of life left to like <laughs> explore all of these ideas and put toward it. Yeah. I, I think that's a really valid point. And I've heard a lot of other people just as we've kind of got dove into this season of the LI podcast about seasons of life come on and talk about and Erica came on and talked about this like everyone knows her as a traveler right and mm -hmm. and you know from I forget her from basically 18 to like 27 she was traveling all over the place she had a goal to go to every country of the world realized she wasn't going to do that because she just like going back to places. but it was like always travel always travel everything and and like you said you had a few years of that I had a few years of that Everything was focused around travel like that was the center point that the that our universe is revolved around. And it everything was just about how can I travel more or long? Like, how can I just stay traveling? Right. And you mentioned that like that was your goal. How can I break even in the beginning and, and just do it? And, you know, I think typically, as as you mentioned, there there are people who who that's just that does become them. I can think of a few people that I know that mm -hmm. it, travel has not dulled for them. And I don't want to say it's dulled for you and I, it's just, it's changed, right? Like there, there is another, there's other priorities that have risen above that. Some people, mm -hmm. it doesn't, yeah. but most people I, I see there's like a, a little bit of a shelf life of it being the most important thing in your life. And that's that you know, that looks like usually two to four years, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then something else comes in. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's family members, you know, taking care of parents or having kids. Maybe it's, you know, something else. Usually those are two big ones that that kind of mm -hmm. change a season of life a little bit. Um, but I'm with you. I, I love the word that you put there. It's an additive because for me, I still want to travel. I still dream about travel. I still hear you talk about being Portugal. And as yeah. soon as you say it, when you came on, I'm like, where are you at? You're like, I just got to Portugal. Instantly, I'm like, my first thought is, oh my gosh, how do I get on a plane and get there and see Jeremy? But it, it's not overwhelming to the point where then I, I, I have to go and do it. Where I think before my buddy used to tell me, he was like, I, you know, you're addicted to travel. And I was like, no, mm -hmm. no, no. But it was, it was like, I couldn't get out of my head. It, it was always, yeah. where's the next place or this or that. And now I'm like, oh, Jeremy's in Portugal. I can enjoy that. I can love it. I can think about maybe going, I can maybe even go, but it's everything doesn't get flipped upside down just to go and make that a reality. Yeah. Yep. And I, I feel like there's the, I mean, there's certain, there, there are certainly many places I still want to travel to that right now. Uh, like, I feel like I'm part of what's, they, they still do go together, the travel and work side of things. Like there are, are, we would love to spend more time in Asia, specifically Japan. We'd love to go to New Zealand, but we both do so many calls now with people in North America that like, that's just not, we wouldn't have a great lifestyle if we were there because we'd be up all night on calls almost every day. And so it kind of feels like right now is not the season to do that, but like, that's going to come one day when we're both able to take off like just three months, no work and just like go there. And so that feels like to do that, we you know need to build our businesses to a certain point where that makes sense and we have team or we've just structured the businesses where they just you know they can we can take that time off and stuff runs on autopilot to some extent um another one like, that a, i'd love to do you have a feeling of when that might be not to cut you off but like 
because I do think then it comes back. Like, I think us talking, like we are both in maybe kind of building for the future phases, right? Business wise yeah. and like putting money away and thinking about, okay, we're this age, like we don't want to be working till 60, 65. So how do we set things up? But I do think for you and I, and most people who have been on the show, that travel as maybe the number one priority or like co-number one priorities mm-hmm. with something else will come back for me. I, I know yeah. it will. And for, for me, it might be a little, I don't know if it'll happen before the kids are like 18 or 20 and out of the house, but it might, but I kind of see that as my maybe, okay. In 15 years, kids are out of the house ish. Hopefully we've built businesses and have real estate holdings and things like that, that allow us to, to truly kind of step away. And I could see travel then taking that, you know, priority level again. Do you have a goal or thought of that? Yeah, I kind of think, I kind of feel like maybe in the five to 10 year range, and maybe there's some like shorter durations within that. But like, I kind of feel like on the, the, podcast marketing education business I'm currently working on feels kind of like a three-year project maybe. And that's hard to say, like it's still kind of early days with it, but I am kind of thinking that it's going to be the business I would like to sell at some point. And that feels like a time frame where I could build it to the point where it is a, a kind of sellable asset. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm thinking right now. Maybe that takes longer. Maybe that takes shorter. I don't really know. I've never sold a business before. So how long am I expected to stay on after that? And you know, if, if that goes through. And so there's, you know, or it doesn't work out, the business fails or whatever. Like there's, there's so many variables that could happen, but, um, I, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. And like, that's, I think the, the difference in how I maybe thought about things in the past is like, that feels like, I don't feel kind of like you said that unrelenting pull to Mm. keep traveling. And right now it, it feels like kind of like, this is more exciting than traveling. Like building this thing right now is like, it's a great like test of my skills. It's all the work I love doing. I love every single day. Like I'm excited to like, I go to bed each day and I'm excited to do the work the next day, which, you know, has not always been the case. And so it just feels like right now I'm like, this is all I want to be doing. And like, there's this great thing waiting for me over there on the other side of it. But like, Mm. that's not as fulfilling as as doing this is going to be right now. Um, And so that's kind of how I'm thinking about it in, in my mind. Is this the first time you've thought of building a business in order to sell it? I did approach the agency that way. And earlier this year was talked to a bunch of people about what it would look like to sell it. And uh, essentially like my business, just what most people told me who had experience with it was like, really like the size of your agency you could probably sell it, but it wouldn't be worth the hassle for what you'd get out of it. And they were kind of saying like, maybe you could get like, between one and $200,000 out of it, but it would be, it would take a year and it would just be so like invasive and so frustrating. Like you would just, it, it sounds like a lot of money to you right now, maybe, but it's not worth it. Like right, just keep right, the right. business like, going. Yeah. Just chug it along and make, and make that money by just keeping it going and then be yeah. cool with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that is a totally different mindset. And, and that comes, I've seen in my entrepreneurial journey. And I think maybe I arrived to this later than other people. And, you know, it's not a competition of who gets to this mindset first, but I never envisioned like the next step of a business. For me, it was like build EPOP and I love doing it. And we have a podcast and we have the website and just, you know, in my mind, and that was my first one. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense. It was just like, I'm just going to do this. And like you, I was so excited about the work every day. It didn't matter. Like there was no 
I didn't know anything about business either. Mm -hmm. I never built a business, let alone an online business or anything like that, nor did I know anyone in that world. Mm -hmm. So it was like, just build it so that you can get along so that you can have money so that you uh, essentially so that you can travel like, like you talked about. Then Location Indie comes in and it was with Jason. It was like, well, this is just fun because I've got a partner in it. And now this seems a little bigger than just the blog and podcast because there's a community and there's, you know, we're going to do events. Like it's felt bigger than just my project. And Mm -hmm. that was great. And that has had like a long, you know, a long germination period. But, you know, there was not the thought there of like, let me build something that's sellable. And now I think I'm getting to a point where I'm, when we're looking to start other stuff and and do this, I remember someone like seven years ago saying to me, what's your exit strategy? And I was like, that's yeah. such a dumb question. Like, I'm not a startup. Like, I don't want, I didn't want to deal with that person because I'm like, I don't care. I just love what I'm doing. I don't have an exit strategy. But now I'm starting to look at businesses, even if I love what I'm doing with them to say, well, if you were to start this or if you were to get into this, you know that you're probably not going to do it for another 20 years of your life. It's just... Mm-hmm just you now know that like everything you've done has shown you like that's a long time and so my mindset has shifted to to be one of all right what are different strategies to build this grow this exit it you know make it bigger than me and so i it's cool to hear that you're there too with this new project because it took me two big company not big by number of employees but like two a lot of yeah. years of my life with epop and mm-hmm. i like to now say anything else i start I want to be a little more forward thinking of what the whole span of that business looks like and what parts I play in it. Yeah. And I think the big thing for, for me, but also with Kelly, like, so she, she was a graphic designer, then a web designer, and then got into no code app development in the past year, year and a half. And kind of partly it was her getting in that world, which is then there's a lot of overlap with startup world. And also me making a lot of friends, mainly through Twitter, uh, of people who were in startups, either like founders or working in startups, or just like in this crossover creator maker founder space that it really opened my eyes to that business world, like the startup business world, which in my mind, I thought of startups and I thought of like Mark Zuckerberg. It's like, you just think of like that is, and it felt so unattainable and the, just like the naked ambition of it all felt like not my kind of world. And then getting into the actual world of startups and like the indie hackers community is a great place. If, if people are want to check that out, which is kind of like, it's just kind of creators. It's like bootstrappers and people who are like building these little projects that most of them fail. And you realize like talking to those people, you're like, <laughs> there's a lot of people who just like have no clue what they're doing. Like they're, they are not like these geniuses, like, you know, tech bros by any means. They're like people figuring stuff out there. Like anybody in the LI community, it's like that there is that same, you know, person who is working on a startup rather than a lifestyle business. And a lot of people like there is way more overlap nowadays, I think too, where a lot of people yep. are starting startups to try and be location independent in a way. Yep. And like, like I was saying, Kelly's in this note code world now. So you don't need to learn coding and development. So there's like all these ways in that people are just like hacking together stuff, kind of like you or I would have learned WordPress years ago, mm-hmm. which felt like this amazing. It's like, how did you learn to do that? And now you could much, probably much easier learn how to build apps than we learning WordPress six years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And so like getting into that world and then making friends with people who are like starting projects and you realize like, oh, like it's not all about selling for a billion dollars. Like a lot of people build a project, spend like six months on it and sell it for $50,000. And it's like, oh, 
that's an interesting, and that like a lot of people build their business model of saying like, Hey, I'm just going to build like over the next five years, build 20 projects. And I hope that a few of those do pretty well. And like, that's my strategy. And that was like, Oh, I'm doing that with like, that's the exact same mentality as somebody who builds a course or who builds like, you know, a workshop or like does like live events or anything. It's like the exact same mentality just applied in a slightly different way. And so then I realized like, Oh, I'm already doing this, just not in a software kind of way. And like a lot of these, the ways of they think about it differently though in software, um, th- this kind of scalable nature of it. It's, you know, you assume with software that you're going to sell it or that that's on the table, maybe funding's available. And so you realize then that like, there's a lot of similarities between like a community and a SaaS product almost. You hear a lot of people talk about this where it's kind of like, they're both kind of membership subscription-based models. And there's actually a lot of like funding that's becoming available for community businesses and course businesses and these types of like recurring income-based businesses. And so- that's there. It seems like the lines are really blurring between like creator online business and like startup kind of online business. And th- just being in that world, it's just opened up all kinds of like additional opportunities and possibilities for me. Yeah, it's fascinating because essentially what they're doing is taking the word business and just making it really small, right? Like I, mm-hmm. when I think, oh, I'm starting a business, like I'm not afraid to fail if I do. I'm going to do a webinar. I'm going to throw this together, try a webinar. I'm going to do, I'm going to, we're going to run a challenge and, you know, we're going to do a few a year and like, okay, if it doesn't go the way that I want it or it does go the way I want it, whatever, however it works, it's like, that's a little piece and then we'll iterate on it. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, we'll change it up. We'll try this, that work. Let's do it again. Boop, boop, boop. But you know that it's not the only time you're doing it. Yeah, like every time we do a workshop or a challenge or run a mm-hmm. launch, we know that we're doing other ones in the future. And that this is going to feed into that good, bad, otherwise. Yeah. And, but I've never thought of business like that. And essentially that's what those people are doing. They're like, well, we're just, that's what we're doing, but we're doing it with a business and we're going to just go quick. You know, people probably heard the term fail fast. Right. And, but I've always been afraid of that because business has always seemed to take on maybe too much of an outsized importance. Like this is a business. Okay. You have to grow this and this is mm-hmm. going to be a five, 10, 15 year thing. It's like, no, just no. think of it like you would as a, uh, think of the, this a business the same way you would think of a part of a business that you have and allow that to be, to be done or to scale if it works or doesn't work. Right. Yeah. I think like my, the, the one that really shifted it for me is like Seth Godin has a blog post. I think it's called like 30 years of projects or something like that. And he talked quite a bit about like thinking in projects essentially. And I just like super resonate with that approach. And I think about that for like, really like how I set up my kind of productivity system and um, both task management and project management and all this kind of stuff is really like around projects. And so like I have my agency. And then I have Podcast Marketing Academy, which is my started out as a course now becoming a whole education business. And there are many projects within Podcast Marketing Academy. And so like each launch is its own project. And then there's like, you know, a workshop or an addition that like, that's a project, a part of that, that is, you know, maybe it takes a couple months to do or something like that. But you can, there's also all these other projects. There's like, you know, building out a new like funnel for, for that business. Like that's a project and that makes everything so much more attainable, but also like you could build a product as a project, like that could be, you know, part of your existing business, but also, you know, open to other people. And that, that has been such an interesting mindset shift for me because it reduces this big, like, 
working on a business is like, where do you even start with that? Whereas mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I just do one project at a time that builds the business. It's like each project is like a brick that you're stacking. And I think like the, one of the best examples of this, especially in the, the nomad space is Peter Levels, who's the founder of Nomad List and like many other nomad specific kind of uh, topics and, and projects essentially. And he's built I don't know, dozens and dozens of different like products and projects, many of them kind of tie together. Like I think Nomad List pulls on a bunch of his different projects that are all in aggregate there. And so he's just kind of like built on all these things. You know, he spends a few months working on one, spends a few months working on another and has kind of built out this huge array of, of different products that may or may not overlap that all feed income back to him. And you know, they're, they're all kind of nomad based. Cause he, you know, started off as a traveler, but I think he's one of those people who just took that same mindset that you might used to like build a course or like a a more, maybe what we would think of as traditional online business. And then like, I'm just going to apply this to software and build all this stuff and create my kind of like dream lifestyle that way. Yeah. It's, you know, it all comes back to, I'll give love to, to our buddy. We both know him, Jason Robinson. Right. And, and he said it way back when, and he just talks about treating life as an experiment. Right. And he has Mm -hmm. a site, the nomad experiment and all. And I think that a lot of times in different seasons, we can get away from that. And I think I got away from that a little bit too in the last, I I don't know, it's hard to pinpoint a time, but in the last couple of years where the business got to a point that it was, I think COVID honestly played a lot to it. Like, I Mm -hmm. think, you know, I'm not, I, I don't usually look at outside factors and then look at my business and try to equate them, I think to a, to my detriment because they, we know yeah. that our life and uh, and the lifestyle and things play a big factor. But I think, yeah, I think there was a time where everything was fun and experimental. And like, who cares if it doesn't work, this or that? And I think COVID, yeah. I think having kids, I think kind of having more uh, like pressure and responsibility has dampened or did dampen, I think it's back, this more experimental mindset where it's like, where, where all of a sudden I was like, oh, it has to work, right? Or where there's expectations. And we talk about expectations being the thief of joy, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you have these expectations. And you're like, well, that didn't meet my expectations. That the, Okay. You know, so try it again. And so, I, you know, I'm telling everyone listening as much as I'm telling myself that this idea of experimentation needs to needs to be prevalent in your life, especially when it comes to building business or building lifestyles, because look at where Jeremy got, right? Look at where you got. You experimented with this location, independent thing. You locked yourself out of a house, right? Right in the very start. And you know, you never would have known where it led because originally you're saying, I want to, I want to do YouTube stuff. I want to do video mm-hmm. production. And then it led to podcast production out. It's led to education and more thought leadership stuff and writing. And all of that has come with just saying, what gets me excited? What can I experiment with? And, and trying to not take it too serious or personal, I guess, right? If something doesn't go the way you want, because what does it matter? You can go give it another shot, right? Yeah, I, I think I have in like doing many projects now over the past, specifically two years since I've leaned into this, but essentially like I can look back much further at the, you know, seven years I've been traveling kind of six or seven years now. Um I feel like in almost every single instance, probably in every single one, like I can't think of a single thing where I actually had the idea from the start. And it was like, that was the idea that I followed through to the end that I always like, so I'm a huge like walker. I love exploring just, I walk a a ton every day. And like my kind of MO when it comes to walking is like, go out of the house and just like, 
wherever, like, what am I curious about? And even if I've walked like the, the city around me, like a hundred times, it's just like following my intuition or something the first little bit. And then at some point it's like, oh, there's something over interesting over there. So if I, if I don't like really know where I want to go, I'll just start walking in one direction, pick that. And then like at some point, something you notice something and it grabs you and you go that way. And I wrote a newsletter uh, maybe a year ago about this where like, that's actually the same way I think that we should approach projects where it's like, you go into them, you don't try and like strategize everything off the start. And I mean, I, I am a strategizer. I like planning everything out in a, ahead. And so I'll do a bunch of that just to satisfy myself to like get it started. But at this point, I know that none of that really matters. Like I can, I can go in. I want to make sure like, I think it's more what I want to make sure is that I've explored it enough to know that I'm going to be excited about it, that I can sustain the excitement of like some uh, pressure on it. Or like, you know, if, if I just like journal all this stuff down, I map it all out and then I'm like, yeah, well, that, that, that's basically it. I don't actually want to do it anymore. Like that's the thing I'm looking for. And I'll look at, you know, are there other things out there like this? Is there, now I kind of have an intuitive sense of whether there's an opportunity or not, but I feel like every project I do, it's like, I figure it out. Like it took me a year of writing my newsletter to figure out what the real through line was of it. And I'm still like struggling to articulate that. And I think that's always going to shift a little bit. And like with the course, I'm now five coming on six cohorts into it. And I'm, I feel like I've just now kind of like, oh, I figure out, I'm finally know how I'm supposed to structure this course. Like it hasn't been a good fit for, for two years, two and a half years, and now six cohorts. It's been like getting better each time, but Yep. You know, but and probably right now I think like, oh, I figured it out. And then I'm gonna go through it and I'm gonna be like, okay, well, that was like better, but it's still not right. And so it's like every single thing that I've done, it's like you just don't figure it out until you get a bunch of reps in. And so I think that's where that kind of like experimentation and curiosity to like try something new, but also not commit to it and like that like the way you you plan it out off the bat is gonna be the way that you're gonna always do it. It's like, you know, get a, a vague sense of direction, start going down that path, and then like be aware that probably you're going to change it, you know, within like, if we take a podcast, for example, because that's what I always coach people on. I always tell people like, okay, you know, map this out, come up with the format, start recording episodes, but just know that like 25 episodes in, you're probably going to get way more clear on like how you're actually, what the actual best fit for the show is, or the structure is, and then feel free to change it because it's better. And like, who cares about those 25 episodes that you like, take them down if you want, leave them up, whatever. But think about like the next 200 episodes after that, you want them to be the best version they're going to be. And there's no way to find that until you like actually get some of those reps under your belt. Yeah. How does someone, because this then becomes the dilemma, right? How does someone know when it's time to pull the plug or to make that change? Because I agree with you wholeheartedly, right? You have to be willing to, to, pivot from your plan, whether you're a planner or not a planner. And I'm not, but I am, I think, becoming one. I, I don't know. I'm kind of in this weird phase of life where I used to just not be a planner at all. And now I might, maybe I'm shifting to over planning things. And, and like you said, putting too much weight on what it is that I thought the original vision would look like. Um, but there's also then the idea that so many people and people listening have probably done this. I've done this where you've sat there and you said, okay, this is my idea. I, I, I've gotten to a point where I know I'm going to be excited about it. They start doing it. Obviously, it, it like inevitably hit a roadblock mm -hmm. and then say, okay, well, on to the next thing, right? And then you get shiny object syndrome. So where is that balance between knowing when to, to step away, whether that be mm -hmm. from a business as a whole or just your original idea and changing it and committing to something and saying, Okay, well, like I'm giving this a legit shot because the first sign of trouble doesn't mean that it's not going to work. Yeah, there's a great book uh, bringing up Seth Godin again called The Dip. 
And it's like, right. you could probably read it in one day. It's a tiny book. Um, and it's essentially about this. And so the, essentially the premise of the book is that like every single project follows like a curve on like a graph essentially. And so you're kind of, if you're not at peak excitement, like excitement is rarely higher than before you start the project, like when you're first mapping it out. And there is an inevitable dip, like where that line on that graph just drops off like pretty quickly. Maybe the first like month or two is like really interesting and exciting. And you're like coming up with ideas, you're brainstorming. And like at some point, there's just going to be the the work that that comes in. And at that point, you, I think it helps to understand like this is natural, that there is no idea out there that you can avoid this in. And so there's actually, uh, Mark Manson has a great um, a blog post about this, where I think he calls it like, what flavor shit sandwich do you want to eat? And so it's essentially like every job, every project, every idea, like has aspects of it that you are not going to want to do. And so it's choosing like, which of those tasks do you, can you commit to? And I've heard James Clear talk about this as well of like, the thing that separates people who are successful in any business or creative endeavor is like those who can put up with the boredom the longest. Cause at some point it's just the boring stuff of like being consistent, like doing the same thing. It's not new ideas. It's like optimizing what you've already got. And I think for me, the, the other thing that I would add to that is you get a lot better at recognizing like, is, should I quit or should I stick it through when you've done a lot of projects? So if you've done 10 projects and you know, your own patterns and you know, okay, when I feel this way, that's a sign that like, there's nothing here and I should just quit this. And I'm like being overly optimistic that there is an audience for this thing or not. Whereas you've done other projects where you push through and you realize like, oh, I felt this this way then. And I know I just need to like, this is the same situation. I just need to push through that. But it's like a, a very personal kind of like feeling. And I think that we tend to discount our own feelings a lot of times. And I think that your, your intuition gets better the more projects you do. And so I think that we look for like external, like, you know, what's the, the framework or the blog post that can tell me like, this is when you should quit and this is when you should go. And I think a lot of times, like you can maybe get some, some good information from that or from like listening to our podcast. But I think the better way is to like recognize like whatever you're working on now is not the last thing you're ever going to work on. And that it doesn't really matter that much. Almost like if you're young, if you're in your twenties, thirties, forties, like you've got still decades of projects ahead of you. And so it's almost kind of like, I'm just going to treat this as collecting data for the next thing that I do. And, you know, I, that to me is very freeing because I'm like, well, yeah, okay, maybe this thing I'm working on right now, it isn't going to work out, but I'm going to like, you know, either push through this or I'm going to quit or whatever. Either way, I'm going to learn something and then I can apply that to the next thing. Mm. And so I think like most people, most people who I think like fail at business or creative work, the only reason they fail is because they actually stop doing it. Like, I think everybody has projects that probably most people's first project doesn't work. Most people's like first 10 projects don't work. And so I think it's like, if you have the mindset of you're continually learning from those mistakes and whether or not you recognize what the problem is in the, the moment, but you're just like, well, that didn't work. Let me try something new. And like expecting going back to this idea of uh, expectation, but like kind of flipping it where like, if you expect that it's going to take you 15 different projects to find something that clicks that you can actually then run with, then you kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter if, you know, these first few don't work. Cause like, that's according to plan, like they're not supposed to, but I think, you know, myself and most people starting out, you think like, oh, I have this great idea. Like this is going to be it. If this doesn't work, like, I don't know what else I got. And like, that's just, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on that idea and it doesn't often work out that way. Yeah. And with that, if you, if you knew, or you, you had a very good hunch at 15 projects, it was going to take you 15 projects for something to click. Well, then when you get through those 15 as quickly as possible, yeah. right? Like you'd mm -hmm. be like, okay, cool. Check, check. I mean, it'd be like, if someone told me, Hey, you got to run a hundred miles. And after a hundred miles, you're going to lose 20 pounds. I'd be like, 
All right, let's push as hard as I can because yep. I, you know, the, I know that it's going to happen. Now, of course, you don't know there isn't a specific number, but I think you can take, as you mentioned, all that data from good books and podcasts and stuff you listen to, where you've heard people talk about failing or it not working the way that you want it, and realize that you're not different from those people, despite what you might think in your head. Mm-hmm. You're not different, and so if it has taken them years or or, or not even years, I don't want to put a time on it, but different projects and iterations of stuff to succeed, then it's going to take you that too. And um, and I think, you know, you don't want to pull the plug too early because sometimes it, it is just a lack of commitment and like, you know, everyone wants the, the right answer right away. But as you mentioned, there is a lot more to it when it comes to your gut and the way that you're feeling like I, 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 when I asked you the question, I'm like, how's he going to answer this? Because there isn't an answer per se, right? You came back. Yeah. This is when you keep going. This is when yeah. you stop. But you mentioned there's a lot of things that play into it. And, uh, and it is a muscle that you build, right. Mm-hmm. Um, when you've done it before. And so it, it's a, it's a feeling thing. And, and, you know, everyone who's listening to these podcasts, talk about seasons of life with a bunch of different people. Jason was on, talked about why he left location Indian. And for him, it was like, he, he said it on there. He woke up and he was like, I just, this is, this is like, I feel it. This is, that's what we were like. I feel that this is the end for me in this stage. And that's why we kicked off this whole session with other people and myself talk about seasons of life because it, it is a really important thing to, to try to be aware of and to give yourself time and space to think about, because if you don't, then you're just pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward. And you're not, you're not listening to yourself, which I, I have a tendency to, to, to be one of those people, right. Who who doesn't (laughs) always stop and listen to what my feelings and what my intuition is telling me. So, um, yeah. Awesome. I think the the last thing I would add on that too, that you kind of touched on there. I know it applies to Jason's story. And I kind of mentioned it before with like being really interested in the work I'm doing right now is I think that part of the being consistent and like persevering and like this, this is maybe a good sign to give up is like, if you actually don't enjoy the work that goes into this and you can see that like, there is no, this is the job. Like there, you know, every, every kind of project has a certain type of work that you're just going to need to do. And I think that that's one of the things for me that is like, I know to be successful with, you know, writing or podcasting or building a business or marketing, like you need to actually enjoy the process. And so for me, it's kind of one of my shifts or seasons kind of in the past uh, year, maybe of my life has been really focusing on the process first and the outcome second and being like, okay, well, what do I actually, what's the work I like doing every day? And how can I incorporate that? If I need to do marketing, what are the types of marketing that I like doing? And so like podcast guesting is one of those. I like writing on Twitter where I started out, like I like writing and I used to be trying to do Instagram and that wasn't a good fit. And I kind of like cut the plug and went over to Twitter and was like, Oh, I can be, I can show up here every single day. I love this community that I built here. I can write stuff. I like, it's finding that way where you can align the things you like doing with the work that needs to be done. And that's, I think a a way more sustainable way to build kind of any project. Yeah, completely. And, and any lifestyle, right. That then goes into, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, like what type of travel do I like to be doing for a while? It was that fast travel, right. Then it was like, Mm -hmm. slow down. Then you thought it was maybe, America, Canada, home basing, but, and we bring it full circle. You said it didn't ever feel yep. right. Like it didn't, you weren't excited about now a pandemic came in and showed you there was other ways. Right. So thankful for that. But 
you knew it, right? You knew it didn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't as exciting as it could have been. And, uh, and just knowing that then when given the opportunity, because you both easily could have went home, you could have said, okay, but this is yep. the plan. This is logical. This makes sense. We'll go home. Maybe we'll be apart for half a year, a year. We don't know, but this is a plan, but you listened to it and said, all right, this doesn't feel right. We're being given another opportunity. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's give it a go. Yep. And so, yeah, I think the excitement level and the joy around stuff, and you make a good point, not that it's constant, not that it's every waking minute of every waking day, but if it's if it's more prevalent, if there's more joy prevalent than, I don't know, boredom or whatever, mm-hmm. Uh, we want to say, then that's a good sign. If it's the other way, then there's probably a sign that things need to be flipped upside down a little bit. So, yeah. And I mean, like before I got to this point, there was like four years of like knowing that like, this isn't what I want to do forever, but I don't know what it is when it came to work. And so I think sometimes just being able to sit in that discomfort and be like, something better is going to come. And especially if I keep experimenting and keep doing things, that's the the way to accelerate it. And like, just like not it's hard to not, you know, get, uh, let that eat at you in a way. But I think that you can't just, there's, there's no fast way to just say like, how do I find my like purpose and my clarity? It's just, you keep trying things out, keep, you know, yeah. sitting in where you're at right now, exploring new things and eventually you'll stumble onto it. Totally. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, personally, it's been awesome to, to be a part of your journey and to watch you and Kelly's journey together then. And, um, just super proud of, the, the things that you both have been able to build. And from an outside perspective, I've got to see a lot of those seasons, right? And it's cool to hear what the next season is um, with you and saying, like, I found my life's work. And whether that means five years of life's work and then it turns into something else or not, the fact that you're so excited about it is uh, is really inspiring and motivating, I think, for me and anyone listening, because that that's where we all want get to and we want to live right is like yeah yeah i want to wake up and i want to be excited again um we're not promising everyone that everything is roses and it's perfect all the time but that you're the majority of time you're enjoying it and uh mm-hmm. and you guys are and you've always followed that which is cool so thanks for coming on man um what's it all right you mentioned twitter i'm not even on twitter right talk about people having to but like what's the best way for people to find the stuff you're doing and uh I think maybe the newsletter would be a good thing for people to to hop onto. Yeah, basically, like all the stuff we talked about today is is really what I talk about in the newsletter, which is called Creative Wayfinding. And so you can find that at jeremyens.com slash newsletter. Um, and you can find the links to everything else. I set up a page, including that newsletter, actually at counterweightcreative.co slash li. And that's got my, I've got a podcasting newsletter as well there. I've got some like free podcast courses, stuff like that. Um, so if you're interested in podcasting, that's the best place to go. Um, otherwise, the Creative Wayfinding newsletter is, is probably most relevant to what we talked about today. And uh, Twitter links, all that kind of stuff is on that page. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. Guys, if, you, if you're if you listening to this and you're not a part of Location Indie com, uh, community or newsletter, check it out, locationindie.com. Because in our newsletter, what we do a good job of is curating good stuff that's around the internet, like Jeremy's newsletter and things like that. So every week we're sending out a newsletter of the best things that we found, um, news from the, the community, what people are doing. Um, so a nice grab bag of stuff. So if you like this conversation, you're like, oh man, what about some other people who are doing some cool stuff? Check it out, locationindie.com, hop on the newsletter there. And uh, yeah, we'll give you good stuff just like Jeremy will each week. Um, and you can find all there. Jeremy, 
Thank you. Go out flaneur around uh, Lisbon. You know that word, that French word? I don't speak I French. don't. All right. Flaneur is uh, is someone who enjoys strolling. So like. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you're a flaneur like me. Like, it's just someone who enjoys the art of strolling, typically, I think, around cities. Um, so, yeah. Go, go. I, I don't know if it can be used as a verb, but you, you, we can do it. Go flaneur around Lisbon. Um, Perfect. Thank you, buddy, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.